You know, Prague gets a lot of tourists. A lot of tourists. And most of them hang out in the old town. But they're really just looking at the main things. Most people are here for two or three days. They look at the main things and they have a big giant pork knee and a couple of beers and move on to the next destination. Those of us who live here frequently avoid the center and old town because it's full of tourists. However, this is a little bit of a shame. Old Town is not only the second oldest part of the city, strangely enough, despite its name, it's also very dense and just full of history, legends, ghost stories, and interesting tales. So come along on a walking tour of 10 tales you may not know about Old Town in Prague. In theory, you could just follow along using Google Maps Street View, I suppose, but it is sort of designed for you to be listening to while actually taking the routes and looking at the sites. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, its ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. You're going to start on Marianska Namiesti right in front of the main library. So if you're not there yet, pause this and go there. Inside the main library is an interesting artwork called Idiom by the Slovak artist Maciej Kren. It's a column made of 8,000 books and it's got mirrors at the top and bottom. So when you kind of poke your head in, there's a gap uh, in the column and you poke your head in and look up or down and it looks like an infinite tunnel of books. Pretty neat. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is when you exit the library, in front of you is Marianska Namiesti, Marian Square, and to the left is a very large building, which is the functioning town hall. On the corner there, on the northwest corner, you'll notice the first item, which is the Iron Knight. That's on the corner of Marianska Namiesti and Platnerska. Back in the 14th century, Platnerska Street was a street mainly of ironmongers. A knight dressed all in black had been wandering around the city looking for a craftsman to repair his rather impressive and unique armor. He went to Platnerska, found a master craftsman, and while waiting for the guy to do his stuff, noticed the blacksmith's daughter, who was quite beautiful, and instantly fell in love with her. Unfortunately, his feelings were not reciprocated. So he just kind of ended up stalking her all over the place. One day he saw her flirting with some of the local boys. He became consumed with jealousy and stabbed her right there on the street. As she was dying, she cursed him and he turned to stone. The curse was that he would become this statue and every hundred years on this very day, he would return to life and have to wander for a day and a night until he could find a maiden that he could tell his story to and beg for forgiveness. If the maiden forgave him, he would be free. Otherwise, the curse would continue, repeating every hundred years. 
Exactly 100 years later, his ghost returned. He saw an innocent young lady, started to tell her the story. She said, I don't really know what to think about this. Can I come back tomorrow just before sundown and give you my answer? He said, yes, yes, that will be enough time. She went home and told her mother. Her mother, who'd heard the story from her grandmother, said, oh, no, you don't. You're not going there. So the mother went in the daughter's place. And as soon as the knight saw her, realizing it was not the maiden, he cried out, a hundred years more to wait and turned back to stone. On the outside of that house, a house sign was painted called the Iron Man, which is gone now, but you can see it in the Prague City Museum, not far from Florence. All right, so you're facing the statue. Now turn right and go to the edge of the square and you'll see a fountain. It's a sculpture of a young lady and a fountain in front of her. This is our next spot, the Teresa Fountain. So this is an allegorical statue, and she actually represents the vault of a river, and you know this because in her left hand, she's pouring out a jug of water that has five stars in it. These are the five stars of St. John of Nepomuk, who was martyred off the Charles Bridge, and that always is a symbol for that river. The statue was made in 1812 by Václav Prachner. So the figures, like a young woman, sort of right on the cusp of womanhood. And apparently there was a local girl named Teresa who lived in the area and used to get water from the fountain. And so everybody just started calling it Teresa. Legend has it that a retired military officer and rather eccentric fellow who used to live in a house across the way used to gaze out his window at it. And over the years, he fell in love with it. Sometimes after he was finished doing his office work, he would stand in front of it and talk to her. And when he died, he left his entire fortune of 10,000 guilders to her. Needless to say, the family wasn't too happy about this. They disputed the will, and the courts agreed, yes, you have to leave your money to an actual person and not just a figure of a person. However, this has not prevented several other men since then, we're talking mid-1800s, who have also fallen in love with her and have also attempted to leave their fortunes to her. So many people wanted to touch her that she actually started wearing away. So in 1953, the original was removed to the National Gallery, and what you see today is a replica of the richest statue in Prague. Okay, so turn right and take the street that's kind of in front of you that goes along the left side of the Clementium. It's called Seminarska. Follow that around, and it'll curve around along the Hotel Aurus, and then you're going to get to Karlova, which you'll know because it's got tons and tons of tourists. So once you get to Karlova, turn around and look at the Hotel Aurus. You'll note that in Czech it says, the House of the Golden Well. The building got its name from a strange golden glow people claimed to see when they would peer into a well that was down in the basement. And of course, rumors abounded, oh, this must be some kind of a treasure. One day, a maid really wanted to see if she could see it. So she leaned over too far and she fell in and she hit her head and she drowned. So to get her body out, they had to pump out the water and climb down there. And as they were doing this, part of the wall came away and a pile of golden ducats spilled out. So it turned out that the rumors were true. Yay, said the house owner. Unfortunately, the dead maid's dripping, moaning ghost haunts the hallway, so maybe the owner's not quite as happy as he could have been. But this is not the only ghost to wander that house. Many people claimed that they had seen a headless knight and an equally headless lady haunting the place, and a new pastry cook came in to work there. His baked goods were so delicious, all the important people from Old Town came there, and he brought this new kind of style called pernik, or gingerbread, 
and he would, he would shape the cookies into various shapes, and people just loved this. So he'd heard the rumor of the headless knight, the headless lady, so he decided one day he'd make pastries out of them. But of course, no one wants to buy a human pastry with no head, so he put different heads on them, just made up a face. Went to bed, next morning, came in, all the heads were chopped off, thrown on the floor. Huh, he thought. Well, he made a new batch, set them to cool, went to bed, woke up, next morning, same thing, all the heads are cut off, he thinks someone's trying to mess with me, so he pretends to go to bed on the third night, but actually stays in the kitchen waiting to see who's doing it. In the middle of the night, there's kind of a ghostly glow, and there were the knight and the lady, with their heads, standing over him. The knight said, you have made our images, but the heads you make are not our own, so we have come here, baker so that you can see us, and you can make them accurately. But you must hurry, because adon our heads must be back in the river, where they have been resting for so long. Okay, fair enough, he says. So, <laughs> why not? So, he spends the rest of that uh, night making the heads. As the first batch comes out, the knight looked at them and was pleased. It's a good thing that you got it right, he said. If you'd done a bad job, we would have taken your own head as punishment for trying to profit from our misfortune. But now you have restored us, and we are free. And he tells the baker what happened to them is they had come there, and it was an inn way back when, spent the night, but a robber had attacked them, killed them, dragged their bodies to the cellar, chopped their heads off, and thrown the heads in the river. What the robber didn't find was any money, which was hidden inside their clothes. Kind of lazy of him to not check. So the money is still down there with their headless corpses. And they had quite a bit because they'd been planning to elope. So the knight tells the baker if he digs the bodies up and reburies them in consecrated ground in a proper cemetery, he can have the gold. The next day, part of the stairs to the cellar collapsed, tearing away part of the wall. And there were the bodies with the gold. And now he was a rich man. This is an unusual Czech legend because it has a happy ending. All right, now turn around, walk down Karlova to the red building you can see just up on the corner there with the gold snake sign. At the Golden Snake. This is at Lilova 17. So here on the corner of Karlova and Lilova, once stood the very first coffee house in all of Prague. The building originally was built in 1419 by two goldsmiths and had a very famous tavern. It was renamed at the Golden Snake around 1700 when the tavern was replaced by a pharmacy because, you know, the snake. In 1714, an Armenian merchant named Deodatus Diomanus started selling a new exotic drink from the east, coffee from a cart right there at the corner. It eventually became a cafe, and it was a big artist's cafe, including members of the Holar Art Association, the painter Jan Slavicek, writers such as Otakar Neyedli, students from the Academy of Fine Arts, and so on. So this is one of the big literary cafes of the time, and the first place to sell coffee in Prague. So now, go left down Lilova, follow it down until a little bit down, you'll find a narrow street on your left called Hrzetiezova. Go left on that. It's quite narrow. You'll come out into a wider place. Look to the left. You'll see a pale building with a red door and the courtyard next to it. We get to the palace in the cellar. 
So, uh, in this house, rather unremarkable house, it's fine, but they were converting it into a bomb shelter in 1941 during World War II, and while they were down there, they found these medieval vaults. So they kind of stopped working, war finished, communists took over. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Finally, early 50s, they begin doing more excavations, and they eventually uncover all underneath that end of the street an entire 12th century Romanesque estate. Over time, archaeologists and historians puzzle out the tale. This was the first building in the city to be made of carved stone blocks, and eventually it was bought by King George of Podjebrad, Jose Podjebrad, in the 15th century, who was the Hussite king, the last Hussite king. Over time, the building kind of sank, and the city built up around it, and essentially the whole thing got buried, and everybody completely forgot about it. You can go in there, there's a little beer garden, and I believe that there is a small museum and you can see what's left. Now, continue down the street until you get to Rzetiezova number seven, and you'll see a place called Café Montmartre. So Café Montmartre opened in 1911, again, like at the Golden Snake in a building that was originally Gothic, became one of the most famous literary cafes in all of Europe. Kafka used to meet Yaroslav Hasek there for coffee and chit-chat. Max Brod hung out there. Franz Werfel, Franciszek Langer, Eduard Bass, Gustav Meyrink, and others. It reopened as the Montmartre in 2000 because uh, it was used as a paper warehouse under the communists. And above the door, you'll see a faded picture of three men dressed as savages, though it looks like two men because one of them is so faded you can't really see him anymore. And this is the tale of the three savages. So before it was Café Montmartre, it was known as the Olympia, and it had other names before that. It had been a cabaret and a theater. In the 18th century, it was kind of a early vaudeville, if you will. Not not a super high-end place. A British theater promoter showed up with these three savages, Indians from North America who wore feathered headdresses and leather loincloths, and they danced and they shrieked an incomprehensible language. They tore open live pigeons and ate them on stage, and there were dark rumors they were cannibals. It was really quite a show. Very popular show, and it was almost always sold out. One day, a peasant from a small village near Strakonica, which is in southern Bohemia, managed to get a ticket because he was in town for some work issues, came to see the show, and he's watching the show. He has never seen Indians. How could he have? But he kept thinking, God, there's just something really familiar about these guys. And then he realizes the penny drops, and he stands up and shouts, Hey, František, Alois, Vincenz, hi! And they freeze and look at him. And then they run off stage because it turns out they're not Indians. They're three farmhands from the same village that he's from who'd been accused of a number of small crimes and had to leave town. Apparently their next gig is they met this British guy and masqueraded as Indians. Now the audience thought this was hysterical. The local authorities did not and tried to find the three, quote, savages and their manager, but they had disappeared. Well, the story became so popular that eventually an image of the three savages was painted on the building and the building became known as the House of the Three Savages. Okay, continue down to the corner. Now, straight ahead on Husava, you'll see the small brewery, Utsi Ruji, which is pricey but good. And then just to the left of that is a green building at Husava 12 with three figures on the facade. And this is the three standard bearers. <laughs> 
Now, this used to be known as the House of the Three Angels. So the story goes, three soldiers, all from different regiments, ended up sharing a room here. This was a lodging house. And they all knew, they knew they were all going to be shipped out soon, and they were going to be going to different places, and they might not see each other for a long time. So they went to a nearby pub, maybe Uchiruji right next door, and they sang and drank all night long and promised to meet up once the war was over. One of them kind of realized, hey, man, you know... uh, we need to make sure that we don't get killed out there because if one of us died, the other two would be really, really sad. Second one says, but how will we know if one of us dies? The third one says, then they have to come back here as a ghost and tell the others what happened so they won't worry. Many months go by, many battles. Finally, two of them return, but not the third. They wait and they wait and they wait. And then one night while asleep in their beds, he comes to them as a ghost. Floating there above the floor, he says to them, because I guess ghosts have, like, special insight into the future. Within the year, you will follow me. And then he vanished. So, these two immediately changed their ways to try and prove the ghost wrong. They stopped drinking, both quit the military, one joined a nearby monastery, the other one joined the Church of Our Lady of the Snows. But it was all for nothing. They both had died before the year had passed. This is a story that reinforces two Czech sayings. A promise is a promise, and you can't escape your fate. Again, a very famous story, and in the 19th century, a local artist painted the three famous figures on the facade. All right, continue down Husava until you get to Karlova. You'll know it because there's tons of tourists. Turn right, go down past the Fat Cat Brewery Pub, which is worth popping in for a beer. Then kind of follow it. Basically, it looks like you're turning left, but it's the same street. Go left and then go right. You'll come out on a small square called Mala Namiesti, which means small square. On the square off to the left is the VJ Rot building with the Hardware Cafe on the ground floor at Mala Namiesti number three. So it used to be known as Urota, after the Urota ironmonger shop that was once here. You're really not very far from Platnerska, where the Stone Knight or Iron Knight was. So this whole area was very industrious way back when. It's got cellars dating all the way back to the 12th century. And it was interestingly in that building that the first translation of the Bible into the Czech language took place, is in that building. But here's the legend, at the three white roses. The Roses are the three sisters who once lived here. Their parents died and left them quite a bit of money, but because they'd grown up kind of spoiled and kind of indulged, they didn't really know what to do with it, and they became rather haughty and vain and somewhat vapid. All they could think about was marrying some rich prince from a far-off land who would take them away for an exotic, adventurous life. One day, a handsome prince from far away came and courted the eldest sister. He enticed her with his tales of beautiful palaces across the sea and all the jewels he would give her. She gathered her fine clothes and jewels and her share of the money, and off she went. Her dream had come true. And the other two continued to complain and wait. After some time, a very attractive duke from another far-off land came and courted the middle sister, and she also left for a life of luxury, taking her share of the fortune. A short while later, an English nobleman showed up and courted the youngest and last remaining sister, and she left with him, taking the last of the family's wealth with her. Many years passed, and no one heard from the three sisters, but there was much chatter about how unfair it was that these three arrogant women should have had their dreams come true after all. Several years later, a traveling worker came from the area and told them a story he'd heard. Ha! 
Three wealthy noblemen for three wealthy sisters. Not so, he says. It was actually all the same man. He was a swindler and a master of disguise and accents. He'd taken them one by one to faraway lands and then abandoned them, running off with their wealth. Heartbroken and destitute, each sister fell sick because they had no skills and died young. There are other versions of the story that say he didn't even bother with that. He just took them out to a forest outside of Prague and killed them. And so two sayings started to be said in the area, which have become rather commonplace in folklore. Pride comes before a fall and love is blind. Too bad the sisters didn't know those two phrases. Okay, so now turn around and head off towards the right to Old Town Square. Just about where the clock is, the astronomical clock on the left, look on the right for a small but crowded street called Melantrichova. There's a Starbucks there, so it should be easy to see. Go down past that, past the Sex Machines Museum, and then take the very first left, which is Kozhna, and at Kozhna number one, stop, and you will see at the two golden bears. So, Old Town is networked by a series of underground catacombs and tunnels. In the Middle Ages, what's now Kozhna Street used to be one of the most crime-riddled streets in the whole city, right? I mean, people say, don't you wish you lived back then? Eh, you don't, actually. It was nasty, it was dirty, there's disease, and there was a lot of crime. This was the nastiest of the streets, is where you'd hire someone to kill somebody. Once in a while, the Royal Guard would come through, or whatever was the equivalent of policemen, and lookouts would shout, uh-oh, jeepers, it's the cops, and people would scatter. Many of them would run through this house, this house at the two bears. If you go into the courtyard and off to the right, there was an entryway into these catacombs. Now, this is this is back in the day. There's no flashlight, so people are using torches and things like this. You run out of oxygen, you get lost, you get panicked. Maybe you're dying of syphilis anyway. Anyway, a lot of people went down there and never came back up because they died. Over the years, the ghosts began to accumulate, and the ghosts come up at night out of the underground. Many of them come through this doorway. They go out and go boo, boo, boo. They, <laughs> they haunt. They do whatever ghosts do. They play cards. And then as the sun comes up, they have to go back. Now, apparently, as a ghost ages, their mind sort of starts to go, but they could always remember at the two golden bears, at the two golden bears. Can't really think, but they do remember at the two golden bears, and that's how they get home. One day, two criminal brothers hanging out on the street discovered that the two bears were gold because they were covered in gold leaf. So they scraped off the gold leaf and sold it. Shortly after that, the number of reported sightings of ghosts and hauntings increased dramatically. A short time later, one of them died, and the other one was killed a couple of months after that in a knife fight, and their shades went to join the Prague underworld. Well, they were met by a very angry group of ghosts who said, Hey, you scraped away the gold on the bears and the older ghosts can't find their way back. So you guys need to figure out a way to paint them gold again. And they said, we're dead. How are we supposed to do that? I don't know, said the leader ghost. You better figure it out, though, or you're going to be in for an eternity of torment. Now, Czech stories are interesting. They're not really plot-driven very often. And so the way this story goes is, it took them 17 years, but eventually they figured it out. Now that's the part of the story that would make the interesting miniseries. How did they figure it out? We don't know. Anyway, they did, and they devised some kind of a spectral paint. And they painted this ghostly paint on the bears, and even though they do not appear gold to us, ghosts can see the gold paint. 
There's proof. Go there at night and take a flash picture with your camera, and there's a very good chance that the bears will show up kind of yellowy or kind of orange. All right, now follow Kozhna. Go left at the green building and just kind of follow, follow it. It winds, it winds, it winds, and eventually you'll come out onto Zelezna. Turn right and keep going down until you get to the Estates Theater. It's kind of hard to miss. It'll be on your left. This 18th century theater, which was actually built by a guy named Nostich, and this was part of the sort of Czech embracing of Enlightenment ideas and Czech national identity. It's built in the neoclassical style, and it's one of the few theaters left in Europe that's remained pretty much unchanged from when it was built. Many famous artists performed here. Karl Maria von Weber, Karl Goldmark, Gustav Mahler, Antoni Rubinstein. Uh, Mozart's The Magic Flute was performed here and was very popular even when it wasn't popular in Vienna. So he premiered Don Giovanni in 1787 here. There's even a plaque on the stage that says this is where Mozart stood. Uh, the first modern Czech opera, The Tinker, by František Škrop, premiered here in 1826, the first modern Czech opera in Czech. And in 1834, there was a work called Fidlovačka performed here. And in there, it's just kind of a throwaway little song called Gede domov mui. Where is my home? Which then became the Czech national anthem in 1918 when the nation of Czechoslovakia was formed. It was also here, Nostich was one of the primary people involved in this idea of founding a national theater sometime in the late 1800s. Outside the theater, you'll see a statue called Il Camadatore, which is a reference to Don Giovanni. It's actually by a Slovak sculptress named Anna Hromi, and it's part of a series of similar works that she collectively titles Cloak of Conscience. It said the face inside the cowl is empty, but sometimes at night, if you take a flash photo of it, it looks like there is in fact a face there. And that's where we're going to stop. Check the description for links, including map reference points. I hope at least one of these stories was new to you. And don't forget that Old Town in Prague is pretty cool, and it's worth checking out, even if you're a lifelong resident. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it, or share it, and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been... Prague Times.